Blog Talk Radio. That's right, I said good afternoon. We're coming to you on a, on a bright Sunday afternoon. Uh, and hello, baseball fans everywhere. I welcome you back to a Metsian podcast. My name is Michael LeColin. Sometimes, or some people know me as the Brooklyn Trolley blogger. Do some homework, figure it out, figure out where I am. Uh, and we're here to talk baseball. The game is on TV, we know that much. So we're, you know, trying to ride along with it. Joining me is my partner, Sam. Sam, hello. How you doing? What's going on? Uh, I am immersed in uh, the sounds of the city on the spring day, as well as the sights of baseball. It's a beautiful, almost spring day, like just giving us a little preview of what's to come. A little bit. You know what? But I heard there's a little bit of snow in the forecast. I don't know when and how and why, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, Joining us, and we welcome back to the podcast, author of the New York Mets all-time all-stars, Brian Wright. Welcome back. How are you doing? Doing well, Mike. Uh, hi, Sam. Great to be on with you guys. Uh, I'm uh, very optimistic about a lot of things. Uh, getting to watch a Mets game is, you know, a telling sign that uh, spring is on the way, being that it's sunny outside here in uh, D.C., and I'm assuming the same up in New York. Uh, also gives me a lot of hope. Uh, I, I also, too, ha- see a snowflake on my iPhone for, like, uh, for Monday, or I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday. And uh, that doesn't please me, but m- most of the days look great. So uh, happy to be on and happy to talk about a uh, Mets game. While a Mets game is going on, at least it's a game of no consequence. Very characteristic of the month of March. You never know what you get. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a coin flip. One day it's beautiful. Next day it's it could get Rather brutal in March sometimes. Anyway, here we are, spring training. Mets are playing as we speak, and uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with it. We'll try to be careful because uh, we know of the laws. Any, how's it go? Any reproductions, any accounts or descriptions uh, of the game are prohibited unless we have permission from Mr. Cohen himself. The way it goes, Sam. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm not a, a lawyer of that uh, nature, but uh, I guess. If you were to go off of that disclaimer they sometimes give us in about the seventh inning, that would be appropriate, yes. <laughs> so baseball it is. We got a couple of topics. We'll uh, essentially jump around everywhere, go around the horn, cover the outfield behind the plate, and uh, some, of the, some of the pitchers. I want to start behind the plate, really. Uh, we know who our starter is, but the backup. Is everyone happy with Thomas Nito? People speak well about him, uh, but you know what? That comes from an analytical perspective. What is the eye test? How how does he rate there, Brian? I think he is adequate as a backup. I would never want him to be the starting catcher. And I I think in these days, uh, if you say starting catcher, you're talking about, you know, a little over 100 games, something like that. You you kind of, you know, it's a little bit like – 
I don't know. I don't know what position in football would be the same as maybe running back, where you don't always have a one guy carrying it, you know, forty times anymore or thirty-five or something like that. You need a two running back system. Um, I think for catchers, you need two, but one's going to uh, have the most workload. So obviously, James McCann, as you said, is the starter. But Thomas Nito, I, you know, love his, uh, you know, the way he defends, uh, throws guys out. Uh, his hitting needs still needs work. <laughs> But uh, as far as being a backup catcher and playing, I don't know, 50-some games, uh, maybe that's a little too much, but, but maybe 50 games, uh, spelling McCann when he's hurt or, or uh, when he's just, you know, day game after night game, I think he, I think he works fine. Sam, to Brian's point about games played, uh, McCann never played more than, I believe, 118 games in a season. I'm not picking on him. That's just the figure. So Thomas Nito is going to be responsible for about, let's call it 30% of the Mets starts. So what's your opinion about our backup? Well, here's my question. So who would you say is the ceiling in Mets history for backup catcher? Would it be somebody like Mackie Sasser? Wow. (laughs) Ed Hearn. (laughs) Ed Hearn. Right. So uh, what I'm seeing out of, Tomas Nito, if we're going with the eye test right now, is that he could very well be about to really come into his own as a backup catcher. Yeah, I mean, like some of the the moments that he's had over the last couple years, uh, he he seems to have a little bit more pop than we expected, uh, maybe a little bit more clutch than we expected. He hasn't performed uh, uh, that much. He hasn't been completely in the games. all that much, but from what I've seen, uh, you know, I, I think that maybe he and many other players on this team are collectively about to shake the Wilpon era off of themselves, and we could see Tomas Nito coming into his own as backup catcher. Um, I don't know whether he can hit some of these numbers that you see a Mackie Sasser hit back in the day, uh, batting 285, 291, 307. Uh, coming mainly off the bench, uh, but you know, I, I would take maybe two forty four, two fifty. I think that would be that would be grand. And you saw it kind of start to creep up a little bit his batting average. Um, and again, you know, he has a little bit of that pop, possibly clutch pop. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm I'm ready to let him sail, especially with a better catcher at the front. And so Tomas Nito isn't going to be expected to take that much on like with a Wilson Ramos. Well, my, my priority lies in, you know, having a good receiver. I think he's that. So, you know, I'm okay. I'm copacetic with the situation. Let's uh, climb the mound for a second. Carlos Carrasco has a little bit of an issue that Terry Francona says it's pretty much par for the course insofar as his, uh, his, history with uh, an arm ailment and his physical condition. And let us not forget that he's under a a medication regimen. So considering all that, uh, Brian, starting rotation, Carlos Carrasco, how do you think that's going to shape out? And suddenly, in the middle of spring training, we have an uh, unexpected battle for the fifth spot in the rotation. Yeah, I think as far as uh, Carlos Carrasco is concerned, um, I you know I don't I I think the 
the, uh, the, the Mets fan in all of us just hears, oh, he has a little, you know, soreness, and we just automatically think Tommy John surgery or the, the DL for the remainder of the season. That's just kind of like inherent in our thinking. Um, but, you know, if everyone says, including himself, I think even today he was on a press conference and said, oh, I'll be ready for uh, my first start, uh, whether that's game two or game three. Um, and, you know, as you said, Terry Frangona says this is kind of typical, uh, a typical process of him during the season. Uh, I have every reason to believe that. Also, you know, he received the COVID vaccine, uh, which is wonderful considering uh, his past uh, medical history with uh, overcoming cancer. So I don't know what that plays into it, uh, what are the side effects of that. Uh, and also, you know, and, and from that, he came into camp late. So um, I think we just take it, uh, you know, slowly. I, I am not particularly concerned, especially if he exuded so much confidence uh, at the, in the press conference. Um, and I see him as uh, I see him as the number two starter going in. Not that it really makes a difference, but I think he could be. He has every reason to be the second best starter on this Mets team. As far as the back of the rotation, um, I still would side with um, seeing if David Peterson is 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 capable of being the number five. Um, I I don't put all a lot of stock into 2020 just because of how short, small of a sample size except when it's a rookie pitcher and he seemed to give me reason to believe that you should give him a shot in that spot, unless he totally tanks in the spring. Um, I would go, you know, think of going in with him, but you have a lot of options, which is something you can't, you have not said about the Mets in the past when it comes to depth. So this is a nice problem to have. Sam? You know, it's funny right now that we're talking about Carlos Carrasco because his trade partner, Francisco Lindor, is up at bat right now. And um, I'll go on a tangent just considering this is the first time I'm watching him up at the plate uh, at some point uh, other than now. But um, I, I wanted to say that with Carlos Carrasco, I mean, right now, I'm not about to think that this is just going to spiral into a Jed Lowry type of thing, knock on wood, that I even said it out loud. But... Um, yeah, we you know, it's just like uh, Brian said, we get spooked out because we're the Mets. And uh, if this is par for course, then let's just, you know, take everybody's word, especially considering it's not just like the Wilpon uh, uh, machine trying to spin it however he's, a, he, he's going to. Uh, it's also Terry Francona chiming in. So, uh, you know, let's, let's see how it goes. Um, if he says he's going to be ready for whenever he's making his first start, then great, let's uh, let's go from there. But you know, until he's on that mound, you know, Mets fans will uh, will continue to freak out. And uh, as far as the back of the uh, back end of the rotation, you know, Peterson and Lucchesi, they're battling to be the lone left-hander in the rotation. Do you have a preference? I mean, I'm not sure how. I, I did see one of these runs, these uh, the three runs that the Cardinals have gotten today uh, off of Peterson, but um, I'm not sure how he's done so far. Uh, you know, in terms of preference, I, I'd go with uh, who we know as long as he doesn't bomb this spring. Uh, and that's David Peterson. I mean, uh, a lot of people have been talking how, you know, about how excited they are for uh, Lucchese, uh, but I, I don't know enough yet. And I, you know, today is really the first time I've even been able to, have a game on in the background. So that's nice. Uh, 
and I'll have to take a look at some some footage of whatever he's uh, performed with so far. And, and there you go. Hence, spring training, because stats are one thing, but seeing it for yourself is another. Uh, second base, a little bit of a little bit of an issue that I have. As far as I'm concerned, Jeff McNeil should be the starting second baseman. No questions asked. I don't want to see him at third, and I want him completely out of the equation in left field. Leave him at second base. That's my position. Today, Luis Guillorme is playing second base. Now, again, it's spring training. You're just positioning people in different places and doing things for different reasons. Uh, but that's my position on second base. So let's just tackle that for the moment. Brian. I 100% agree with you, Mike. Uh, I, I, I want to see Jeff McNeil as a second baseman. You know, when, when uh, Robinson Cano uh, had the positive uh, the, the test, I don't know, I forgot what, exactly when it was, but that when I heard that, I said, this is a blessing in disguise for the Mets because Jeff McNeil can be the everyday second baseman, and he needs to be. Uh, I remember in 2019 when he was playing everywhere, but he was really the standout at second base. And, you know, last year he was kind of forced into action in multiple places. Obviously with Cano playing, he didn't play second base at all. Uh, he was in left field. He was at third base. Um, I just think it's just too risky uh, for him at third base and in left field. Um, Luis Guillorme, who I, I is, a, is a superb fielder and I think could be a guy you could throw in there at, at second base, shortstop, third base, whenever needed. Uh, but it needs to be Jeff McNeil in the lineup every day at second base, as far as I'm concerned. Second base, Sam. Uh, yeah, I, I have to concur. Uh, Jeff McNeil in there every day. And I think Guillorme is going to get plenty of reps uh, all around. Um, he's going to be in there in second. He's going to be in there in shortstop. He's going to be there at third base. I wouldn't be surprised if they find him a, a, a spot somehow mixing and matching at first base. <laughs> you know, like he's that versatile. Um, they'll probably hold off on that one, uh, considering, you know, the plethora of options right now at first base, considering no DH. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I have to go with Squirrel all the way even though I'm really excited for what could see out of Guillaume and, uh, uh, you know, coming into his own as well in his, uh, you know, outside of a 60-game season. You mentioned third base. Both of you mentioned third base. Let's go there. That's perhaps the team's biggest dilemma. If you want offense, you're going to lean towards J.D. Davis. If you want defense and if that's what you prioritize, probably going to lean, like I do, towards Luis Guillorme. Now, I believe it was yesterday's game, Saturday. There were three errors at third base. J.D. Davis and Guillorme participated in none of them. Two of them were by new acquisition Jonathan Villar, and one of them was from an A-level minor leaguer who shall rename nameless because he's not part of this. So the dilemma at third base, and, and, and the greater picture here, the point I want to impress that, you know, we're going into another season in which Luis Rojas uh, has been dealt a, a subpar defensive unit that he must manage. And, and, and this has been somewhat Sandy Alderson's M.O., 
for as long as he's been in charge of this. Uh, so both issues. Third base, let's tackle that first because uh, the utilization of Nimmo in center field and obviously left field and first base and, and the point of contention that those positions bring up fall under Sandy Alderson's uh, greater greater conversation. So third base first. Brian, take it away. Yeah, I, it is a dilemma. And, you know, obviously that was a, a position where we thought there might be a move made to, to acquire a, a better uh, a third baseman that could play, you know, could suffice uh, offensively and defensively. Uh, with no DH, uh, you're kind of uh, not able to add another bat. Um, so you do, in the case of throwing in J.D. Davis as a third baseman, and, and I, I lean that way um, pretty heavily, uh, you are sacrificing defense. I think what it may come down to um, is you put J, it depends on the pitcher, the starting pitcher. Um, you know, and if, you know, late in the game, you may put in Guillaume for defensive reasons. But say you have a pitcher like Stroman who is more apt to throw ground balls, maybe you put Guillaume at third base. Uh, or if you have Jacob DeGrom on the mound and you just want to, you know, stop, save runs or I don't know, I'm just throwing that out there. But it could depend on the starting, whoever's pitching, uh, that you swap third baseman, um, whether it's Davis or Guillaume or whomever you want to put out there. But for the majority, um, for the, you know, opening day lineup, as they say, uh, to me, J.D. Davis, he suffices as a, a defensively and he can give you, you know, 20 home runs, maybe about 270 or something like that at the plate. Um, again, as I say with 2020, I kind of make it a throwaway. Um, his 2019 was, was obviously impressive. Uh, I, I, I look to those stats as something that I can, that may be reflected this year. So I think J.D. Davis is the person you start there. I'm completely open. <laughs> I'm completely open to letting offense win the day. If he's hot, you start him. If he's smashing, you start him, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, Sam, there's still a potential. The <laughs> only bats left. What's so funny? What's so funny is that this is what I love about doing a live spring training game because while, like, right at the beginning of you throwing it to Brian, J.D. Davis made the second out. And then before Brian was done talking, J.D. Davis made the third out. Um <laughs> So I'm just that's it. I I'm changed my mind. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead, Mike. Again, I'm open to him letting um, letting him win the day with his bat is is fine with me. If he's smashing, you put him in the lineup. There's still a potential for a platoon there. Guillaume bats left, Davis bats right. If you want to go in that direction. But where do you lean, offense or defense, Sam? And what, which way would you go? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think J.D. Davis definitely showed us enough, even if he didn't, like, completely obliterate the ball in 2020. But he showed us enough to say that 2019 was not a fluke. Um, and he also did improve at third base. And watching him make those plays just now, you know, Pete Alonso also handled it well on the other side, uh, which is a whole other conversation that uh, I think people, I, I think Dominic is a better first baseman, but Pete Alonso isn't that bad. 
uh, you know, he's never been like a major liability, but, you know, handling the way, obviously, those corner positions connect uh, is going to be a major factor for how successful this team uh, does. And I think that mixing and matching for sure uh, can work. But, you know, if J.D. Davis is all of a sudden also coming into his own, um, you got to go that direction. I can't see Guillaume producing the kind of numbers that J.D. Davis coming into his own could potentially be producing. So that's how I see it going, depending on, you know, whether he's also a major defensive liability. But according to the plays that just happened, not half bad right now. So, you know, just in the moment of us doing this podcast. <laughs> now, we I always know how Matt And I was not I, – I was going to say I was not watching when Brown. that happened. So, <laughs> I was going to say I was not watching the game, actually, when those plays were made. It wasn't like I was like, oh. I mean, obviously I wasn't. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I still think Yorme is the guy you want to be there for defensive reasons. And I still – as much as I do like J.D. Davis, I, I think that he is – somewhat of a defensive liability, those plays notwithstanding. All right. For the moment, the Cardinals have more runs than the Mets. How's that without getting into trouble? Anyway, Sandy Alderson and, and preference for offense over defense. It, it continues. Now, we know how Met fans can be. We know how we get. And in this instance, we might even be able to predict the future. Let's just say things go badly for us with Nemo and his defense in center field and Alonzo at first base and J.D. Davis at third base. Let's just say, you know, the planets align and things go horribly wrong for a week. You know people are going to rail. And and the sub, you know, people are going to be pointing fingers at who? Luis Rojas. And this is where I feel it's going to be unfair to him because when players perform badly, managers get the blame. And when players perform well, well, you know how that works. So, Brian, pick it up. I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, pressure on Luis Rojas. Um, and, and you're right. It's just, you know, if the team does badly, it goes to the manager. I mean, not always goes to the GM, even though he's the guy who, or, uh, uh, or, or in Sandy Alderson's case, I don't know if you want to call him the GM right now. I guess it's the, uh, or Zach Scott or whoever. Um, the guys that, you know, pick the players or decide to make the moves, and obviously center field, the only move that was made was Almora uh, for kind of a, a backup role and to keep Nimmo as the starting center fielder, uh, which with no DH I don't have a problem with considering his, his defensive issues. Um, you know, I, I think his ability as a leadoff hitter supersedes whatever liabilities there may be as a defensive player. Uh, I think if you had a DH, then that would change a lot of things. Uh, you could move him to left field and move down next to first base, but that's, that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, Luis Rojas is going to have a lot of pressure because uh, with, you know, new, new regime, as we all know, uh, coming in and, you know, him still being the manager, him being the manager before the new regime and now with it, um, kind of puts you in the spotlight a little bit. Um, and with this improved team, it's also an added responsibility. I mean, Luis Rojas was dealt a very difficult hand, uh, as everyone was with, with the shortened season. Um, and, you know, I think it was unfair to, to kind of judge him harshly if people did for that one season. But this year, uh, he's definitely 
uh, going to be in greater focus uh, considering full season, first full season, and the team is expected to win right away. Sam, Luis Rojas' uh, review is in other people's hands, you know, and there's a lot of pressure on him. And let me just also say that I don't think he's out of his 30s yet. So he is primed to make this work for the long haul. Uh, but this is a very telling year. That is, that is for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting watching this game. And, and since we've started this podcast, the Cardinals have a 3-2 lead. Uh, they, they, it was tied before we started this podcast. Isn't that the way it goes sometimes? Um, even if it's a spring game, it's funny the way that that works out. Uh, watching it right now, uh, the Mets are getting under everything right now. Um, and it's going to be these little details that play a factor into the way we discuss Louis Rojas's job this year. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm rooting for him, and I, I do think it, 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 it's going to be something that can work for many years to come. Uh, and, and as we become more of a stable franchise, the, you know, look at, like, Tony La Russa was able to have a couple losing seasons in between a lot of winning ones with the St. Louis Cardinals uh, and not get fired. So... I, I hope something like that happens, but we should certainly evaluate without, you know, letting that hope drive our decision-making for opinion of how Louis Roas is doing. We mentioned the DH. Here we are. It's March 14th. No word yet. And I don't think we're getting a DH this season. You know, whether you're a proponent or an opponent, doesn't matter. It just doesn't seem to be coming uh, the National League's way for the re- regular season. I think they're going to hold us out for this December's CBA negotiations. But I want to propose something to you guys. Let's assume that the DH is not coming to the National League anytime soon. I went many years from George Foster to Cecil Fielder with nobody in between hitting 50 home runs, which is to say that hitting 50 home runs nowadays isn't as impressive as it once was. Is anybody open to trading Pete Alonzo and putting Dominic Smith in his rightful place at first? Brian? Oh, boy. Um, No. No, I say I I say that, you know, I, I, as someone who wants to have, you know, to keep both of them, I, I think it would be terrible to trade Dominic Smith. It would be terrible to tra- trade Pete Alonso, not just for the fact that I think, you know, let's, <laughs> last season was a, you know, compared to 2019, was a step down, but he still was on pace if it was a full season and take on pace for what you will, on pace for, at least 40 home runs. So uh, while he did struggle and I was hoping that he'd become a better hitter in the 2020 season, that did not happen. Um, But, you know, second year, 
And uh, if you want to count the spring as anything, uh, he seems to be improving. Uh, hopefully that, that is translated into the regular season. But besides the fact of, of I think he's just a talented player, uh, it's just the, the attitude that he brings on the team. Um, the friendships he's ha- he has with the team, kind of the spokesman he's become for this team. And he has a lot of spokespeople uh, for this team, but, but uh, Pete Alonso is especially um, just genuine, and it would, you'd lose some of the personality if you got rid of Pete Alonso. And it, it would be a very unpopular move, um, and I just can't see it happening, despite the fact that, you know, you, you, you probably, you're not going to have the DH this year. It would be ridiculous if they, they implemented it at the last minute. Um, and potentially for years to come. But uh, even if if the DH does not happen and we kind of have this dilemma with two first basemen, one of them being in in left field, um, I just can't see that that happening. Wouldn't be the first time. Sam, how do you feel about all that? Well, I I feel like the the fates were in store for us once more because just as you were throwing that over to Brian – uh, Pete Alonso made the toss over to Aaron Luke covering at first base for a smooth um, 3 1 uh, uh, play. Um, did I get it uh, right? Because I haven't, I haven't talked that way in a long time. I, I don't know, but I'm having fun with this. You're going to have WPIX just <laughs> coming down all over a Messian podcast. <laughs> well, I don't, think, I don't think exactly I'm describing. Uh, uh, redistributing, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think we're we're okay right now. But that's just what you know. Watching it, I I, I was agreeing with Brian in every moment of that, and also uh, watching Pete Alonso make a play at first, uh, tossing it to Aaron Loop, who I'm seeing for the first time. Who weirdly enough kind of has a loop in his in in his delivery. Um, I I don't want to do that. Uh, somehow, somehow, some way, I want to make this work. Uh, Dominic Smith is, I believe, still right now the face of New York Mets on Twitter, and I, I, I think that's what they're going for right now. Um, maybe the day will come where they make that tough decision somehow, some way between the two, just because uh, you gotta get to the finish line. But hopefully, they can get to the finish line together. And hopefully we can get to the finish line as soon as this year. Uh, I made two lists, two very short lists. Who's hot? Who's not? Spring training, grapefruit, grapefruit league games. Who's hot? Nimmo, Alonzo, Kevin Pillar, Guillaume, and J.D. Davis. They're hot. Who's not? I threw Khalil Lee's name in there uh, only because uh, I'm excited to have him. And I'm excited to see him in Flushing one day. Uh, otherwise, who's not? Neil, Dom Smith, Francisco Lindor, and Michael Conforto. And it just so happens today that Dom Smith and Conforto each have a run batted in. Uh, you know, th- this is the speculative part of spring training that, you know, how much, how much do you put into it? How much do you not? We have players out there trying to earn jobs, players just trying to get in shape, players just trying to tinker. Some are experimenting. You know, some are trying to put their best foot forward and win a job, and, and, and other guys are just biding their time till opening day. 
so, you know, it's an open forum, Brian. I would agree with all those people you mentioned. Um, I, you know, as I a few minutes ago just said, mentioned Peter Alonzo's spring and, and how well he's doing. Uh, that being said, I, I don't put a lot of stock. It's still encouraging to see it. Um, but it, it, you know, the regular season is of course the real test. Um, I think, it's, I think it's especially the case with pitchers as far as, you know, as you said, tinkering, sometimes they try new pitches. Uh, they try, I don't want to say new deliveries, but they just, they just make changes in how they, how they basically what they throw. Um, I think guys like Marcus Stroman, especially coming back from the opt out, uh, is one of them. So, uh, you know, McNeil struggles in the field. I guess that's what it's mainly been. Um, that to me can be rectified by playing him at second base. <laughs> um, but uh, and, and guys like Francisco Lindor, I think you know they're just trying to get into shape. I think they they know their their talents and they just are kind of waiting to get to the regular season. So long story short, what I you know nothing ever gets me concerned unless you know it's someone a pitcher maybe getting bombed or something like that. Nothing ever worries me enough to, to, to be frightened. So usually when I watch these spring training games. It's mostly, mostly just to hope no one gets hurt and uh, to enjoy myself. Speaking of getting bombed, uh, there's a gentleman in a red Jersey who just hit a pitch off the right <laughs> field wall to drive in St. Louis's uh, fourth run of the game. <laughs> so Sam, you know, I threw out the hot, who's hot, who's not, bunch of names out there, just your general impression. Well, let's first go with Francisco Lindor, who I saw up at bat for the first time today. Uh, he had some foul home run power during that at bat. Uh, he was making some jokes. There was a good slow-mo of him, like, you know, kind of recreating with his hand the way the ball traveled that went foul. And then he went the other way for one of those balls that just, you know, everybody everybody's getting just a little bit under it, and it it hangs up for uh, uh, for for an out. Um, but I'm seeing why you want to make this guy a franchise player. Um, he also Pete Alonso made the play, and he scooped it out of the dirt on one of a, a ground ball to shortstop. And Francisco Lindor, even though the out was made, he was like, "My bad, my bad." He, he was saying to Pete Alonso, so. I just wanted to throw it out there since we're talking some of these guys and Francisco Lindor in particular uh, was mentioned. Um, I'm liking what I'm seeing just as him as an ambassador of this game, as an ambassador of the Mets uh, and trying to also, you know, for anybody you think is listening to my recreation, Mike, uh, trying to emphasize that they should get this extension done. (laughs) Uh, excuse me for my absent-mindedness, but Sam, did I ask you about Alonzo and the trade in the DH? I did, right? Uh, yes. I, I think you got to keep him around. Uh, I I wasn't sure if I skipped over on that one or not, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, you're listening to a Metsian podcast. We're at the 235 mark of our day. Uh, Brian, Wright is our guest. He's the author of the New York Mets all-time All-Stars. And, uh, Brian, let me ask you, you know, are things going well in that regard? 
Yeah, I guess so with the book. Um, you know, it's over a year old, and I think I, I tweeted this out. Uh, usually a year flies by, but, you know, this year feels pretty much like 10. Uh, so it's kind of weird to think that it's been, been a year since it came out. Um, but I've uh, been, you know, selling a few every, once, every now and then. Um, and just, you know, enjoying, uh, I guess, the, the rewards that come with this. People, you know, telling me that they like it and, and uh, asking me questions and stuff like that and interacting with people on social media. So, uh, so those rewards have been, have been really fulfilling um, and uh, kind of relaxing for the fact of not writing another book just yet. So <laughs> I'm, in, I'm enjoying that aspect too. Spring training means uh, different things to different people. Uh, before the show, we chatted about this. And me personally, you know, I'm a, I'm immersed in hockey and basketball right now. I'm a man of all seasons and all sports. I love them. Uh, so, you know, I, I pay a casual attention to spring training. I try to stay aware of what's going on, but uh, I'm not spending the time paying attention as I would, say, in midsummer. Uh, I like my other sports. Uh, so what does spring training mean to you, Sam? You know, I just, I go to the fact that, like, usually around my birthday, February 9th, uh, there's images of Mr. Met packing the truck out at City Field. And so the combination of the two has always been, you know, hopeful. You know, you made it another year. Wait till next year, as the saying goes in National League New York lore. Um, that's that's what I love about spring training, and, and and especially in a year like now, when we're coming out of of the pandemic, hopefully, and that this is the tail end of it, and we also have a new owner, and we're trying to set a new example. I think that that especially this year which is so nice watching and seeing people in the stands. Um, that's what spring training means. And, and this is this more than any other spring training, really hope springs eternal. Brian, everyone gets so excited for pitches and catchers, you know, it signals the start uh, of something big, but is it, is it, okay to say that these we're still in winter are these still the dog days of winter there's still 18 games left for opening day we're in the middle of the month we don't know what to do batters on average at the most have 15 at bats what do we do how do you do it how do you go about it well i think uh sam said it very well that uh spring training is kind of you know that that sign of hope something's on the horizon, and I think uh, with our our country the way it is, and and hopefully, as Sam put it, turning the corner, uh, getting toward an end. There's it's you know, uh, hope in many regards. Um, so that that has me excited. I I am like you, Mike, in the sense that I do follow other sports. Um, I'm not a hockey guy, but I, you know the Knicks have been playing well, so I've been into that. Uh, I'm going to watch, you know, the NCAA tournament when that starts this, uh, this weekend. So I do have other things that occupy my time and, you know, the spring training is just a nice, uh, something to put on and, and, and to, to relax to. Um, so, you know, and I, as far as the, the games and, and 
you know, we have still have many games left to go. It obviously gets really exciting, like the first spring training game, because oh, baseball is back. It's, uh, you know, you, 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 again, the hope seeing something is on the horizon. Uh, it's, you know, normalcy in a sense. Uh, and especially when you see fans in the stands, as Sam pointed out. Um, but, you know, when you get to late March, you're just like, okay, can we just get to games that count already? And, you know, as we were talking earlier before the show, it's getting warmer outside, but occasionally we see uh, snow in the on, in the forecast. And uh, I, I can tell you that when it's cold in March, I just go into hibernation and just wait till it gets. I almost like want to wait till it gets warm. I just get so irritated with the cold because in December when it's cold, you just go, oh okay, it's winter now, and I'm just going to deal with it. And even, you know, around the holidays, you kind of have, that's kind of part of the season. Uh, but once it gets to like, you know, late February, early March, you're just, you're just tired of it. You want, you want to see the the, the flowers bloom and, and baseball to come back. So when baseball comes back, it kind of signals something. Uh, and that's how, that's what spring training means for me. And I kind of supplement that time waiting for games to count with other sports like, like you do, Mike. And, uh, and can I just you... throw out there before we, we go on, sorry. Um, that one that that's one of the things that baseball is all about. Just like there's always hope that something good can happen. And right now I'm watching Louis Guillaume just foul it off and foul it off and foul it off. And as I was saying that, he fouled another one off. Uh, there's always hope that even though he's down one two, that he can get a hit right now. That's one of the things I love about spring training, and that's one of the things I love about baseball: the hope of it. You know what, Sam? I'm glad you brought that up because I, I can't not stop talking about Luis Guillorme. You know, in, in 2020, he put up a slash of 333, an on-base percentage of 426, slugging percentage of 439, and an OPS of 865. Uh, so far this year, uh, he had uh, five hits. Coming into this game, five hits and 11 at-bats. I would just love to see him continue doing that. Uh, and to me, that's one of the joys of spring training. Uh, I, I pick and choose who I want to ally with and get behind and support and shake my pom-poms for. Brandon Nimmo has always been that guy. I, I admire his path to the majors, considering where he came from, you know, from Wyoming and having to play Legion ball as opposed to high school in the traditional route and not coming from those factories of Florida, Texas, and California. So to me, you know, spring training is about getting behind the Luis Guillermes and wanting him to see him win this job with his bat because we know we can do it with the glove. So great point, great points by all. Uh, but, Brian, you mentioned a, a word. You said it. It was the word called hope. And I think this, this might be – Strong to say, but you know, without a a good season from Edwin Diaz, I fear hope will be diminished in Flushing. How do you feel about that? I uh, feel sort of the same way. I think it can be uh, alleviated by maybe some other relievers. Like it's you know, if he struggles, there are other people to maybe pick up the slack as far as the, the so-called closer role is concerned. Uh, I think closer role is overrated. I think that they should just go with whoever the hot hand is. But uh, 
never mind that. But uh, yeah, so I think Edwin Diaz it goes without saying he needs a, he needs he needs a, a bounce back year. I guess bounce back from from what he did in uh, 2018. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think if he does not have a good year, it's you kind of the hope is a little bit diminished. Um, but again, I think with like getting guys like Trevor May, um, you can kind of figure out maybe another uh, way to close out games. And, hey, if Seth Lugo comes back and is the same as he's always been in the bullpen, um, that could be another solution. Uh, so there are a lot of different options. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean all hope is lost if he struggles, but it's not, not ideal. Sam, do you correlate the two, hope and, and production out of Edwin Diaz? Yeah, uh, you know, just going from pitch to pitch, especially, it's a good example with Edwin Diaz. Uh, Another foul. Um, (laughs) This is is an epic at bat, if anybody's watching this at bat right now. This is crazy. And and the dugout's going nuts for him right now. They're showing Dominic Smith and Michael Conforto right now. But this, this right now is hope. And from pitch to pitch with Edwin Diaz, you always have to hope that he's going to keep nasty. And unfortunately, too many home runs in between all those nasty pitches. It's really another foul. It's really, <laughs> they're going crazy uh, in the dugout right now. Uh, but really, it, it, it's really crazy to watch the way he can be so nasty one second. It it really is just this one pitches. It's not like he's being tinkered away and tinkered away and tinkered away. His biggest problem is that big bomb. And you just have to hope that he can hone in his skills to calm that down that big bomb. Be basically what he was for those first two months of two thousand nineteen before that rain game, as I always talk about. That's what Edwin Diaz needs to go back to before 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 the system messed with him. That's what I want to say. Gotcha. Uh, I'm going to pose a question about minor leaguers. But while I'm doing that, I want you guys to consider an opening day lineup. So I'm going to give you time to ponder that. In the meantime, Getting back to that spring training motif, you know, I have a particular interest in Brett Batty, a third baseman. You know, I, I'm having fun watching some of these minor leaguers who we know are not going to start the season in Flushing. But nevertheless, here they are, and we get to get a good look at them. Uh, and for me, you know, Brett Batty is that guy. Uh, there's Pete Crow Armstrong. There's Ronnie Maurizio. There's John Eshwe, uh Fargus, who earned the MVP in the Puerto Rican league over the winter. So he's coming off a good winter. Uh, Matt, Matt Allen is another one. Mark Vientos, you know, so there's a bunch of guys, the team who we get to see, who we know are going to be dispersed once opening day rolls around. Uh, Any favorites, any particular players that you've been paying attention to, Brian? I just want to say, I wonder what will end first. This Luis Guillermo at bat or this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> pitch 17 pitch because, 17 and I, and 
And I and I just and I'm, I'm multitasking. I just tweeted out that Luis Guillorme is having a Sean Dunstan 1999 game five LCS like at bat. There you 15th go. Inning. I think he's actually eclipsed it though. He's gone for he's done 17 pitches. Oh, Sean Dunstan I think was 13 yeah. or 14. <laughs> anyway, oh, you're back to your question. Um, I am like you. What I like to see in spring training and and is is the prospects. Um, cause so I'm like you, I like to see the Ronnie Mauricio. I, cause I, that's going to be interesting since he's a shortstop, what's going to happen uh, with him down a few years down the line, if they keep Francisco indoor, which I hope they do and they should. <laughs> 19. 19. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Peter Armstrong is the guy I was most interested in seeing just since he's so he was drafted so recently, uh, that he's so fresh in our mind that, uh, I wanted to see what, what he's, uh, what he's capable of. And I see every reason to believe and there is every reason to believe that he's going to be uh, the center fielder of the future, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Batty as well. Um, so those are the three I really am, am excited about watching and, and have really taken uh, a liking to uh, over the spring is getting to see what they're about. And, you know, they know they're not going to be there from the, the full-time roster. So they, all they have, all they're there to do is impress, uh, impress, you know, the major league players. So uh, I think they've all kind of, had some standout moments so far, so it's good to see it. Sam, who's the guy for you? Uh, pose the question again, because it just went to pitch 21. <laughs> uh, I believe he just uh, was issued a base on balls. Yep. There he goes. Okay, well, off well, the first. you guys are ahead of me. Spoil- spoiler alert. You guys well, are ahead of me because I'm on the internet. No, we're, we're just <laughs> yeah. You're, no, I'm behind too. I'm not oh, uh, ball for you. Twenty-two pitches. <laughs> this was this is what it's about, guys. This is what it's about. This is a <laughs> random spring game that will be talked about for ages. That well, they, the Mets might lose, or they, this could be the start of a rally. Uh, and it, you Mets, know, this, and, and another thing, randomly too, is like we're we're also seeing. Uh, some of these players get a little deeper into these games, so that's something that's cool too. Anyway, well, the Mets dugout definitely had a lot of fun with that, and for whatever reason, uh, there's a bunch of red shirts, and I believe the leader of the red shirts is out there arguing with the umpire over something, but they're making a pitching change. Uh, maybe uh, the pitcher for the red team, their pitcher got hurt, suffered an injury, but he's coming out. There you go, red versus blue. Uh, no, Sam, what we were we were just trying to shed light on some of the minor leaguers in camp that we know will be dispersed back to uh, their respective levels once opening day rolls around. And uh, I was just saying that, like, third baseman Brett Batty, he's one of my favorites. He's one of the ones I've been paying attention to. Uh, but there's others, you know. Uh, there's guys like uh, Pico Armstrong. There's Ronnie Murcio. There's Matt Allen. Uh, Francisco Alvarez is another one I didn't mention. The question was, you know, is there a minor league prospect that you've been keeping your eye on? It, it, Ronnie Mauricio was the one that, like, it was all of a sudden, like, hey, I should check in because uh, it's been a while in terms of the minor league facilities. Um, the uh, Ronnie Mauricio, I think it had, like, something like a four-something, five-something batting average uh, at some point last week. And, uh, yeah, some, it sounds like some of these guys, maybe all of a sudden 
we're going to hear their names. Maybe not this year. Maybe this year. We don't know. We didn't think we'd hear Andres Jimenez's name last year come up and be such a, a big, uh, 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 you know, part of the team of 2020, even though we didn't make the playoffs. Um, I, I think that a lot of these names do excite me. Uh, I, I, I need to, you know, really dive deep, but, but Ronnie Mauricio was the first name where I was like, Hey, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. And, and, you know, Mike, between something that you and I are always talking about from a Brooklyn baseball history perspective, it kind of reminds you, uh, he's not necessarily there yet, but Pete, uh, uh, Pete Reeser, in 1940, in, in 1939, uh, some of those spring training lures. And, you know, like this Lee, Louis Guillaume at bat that we just watched uh, happen, and we just still don't know the complete outcome of, if somebody can drive him in, please. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, middle of the, I believe, that's trail by two. So I gave you guys a little bit of time to think about this. We're going to put together a lineup. Again, it's mid-May, but let's have fun anyway. That's what today was all about. And we're going to assume these people in the starting positions. Catcher, McCann. First, Alonzo. Second, McNeil. Short, Lindor. Third base, I will start J.D. Davis. Left field, Dom Smith. Center field, Nimmo. Right field, Conforto. Now, Let's form a lineup. And I want to do this because uh, it was the other day that Luis Rojas is contemplating batting Jeff McNeil in the sixth position. And right away, you know, the implications of that, for who bats leadoff, who bats second. Uh, there's a lot of old thinking in my brain. Maybe you guys can shake me loose of that, but I was always taught you put your best hitter in the third spot, you put the a uh, person who's more most adept at getting on base in the leadoff spot, and you ha- in the second spot you put somebody who strikes out the least, who makes contact, and, and will get that runner over, etc., etc., etc. You put your power guy in the fourth spot, you put your complementary person in the fifth spot, and so on. So here we go. I named the starters. Let's start with the leadoff men, Brian. Who is leading off on opening day for the New York Mets? Brandon Nimmo. He is leading off. Uh, I just, you know, I'm, I, I am old school somewhat in the fact that I like a guy who gets on base to be at the top of the order. Uh, and Nimmo last year had a over 400 on base percentage. Uh, I think it's for his career. It's almost, I don't think it's quite 400, but it's close to that. Um, so I want a guy who can draw walks and get hits, uh, set the table as they say. Uh, so, so Brandon Nemo is the guy I want leading off. I concur. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people with his productivity this season. Like I said, I admire his path to the big leagues. Uh, and he's shown, you know, steady methodical improvement. And I expect no less this season. Sam, who's leading off for the Oof. next uh, this is such an interesting question. And, and, and cause like, I'm literally like playing the entire thing out. Uh, and if you will indulge me, I will start with at least the starting five. Um, no, I, I, I will, no, start with I will not Nim- indulge that. 
I will not entertain that negative cancel <laughs> culture in effect. No. Lead-off hitter, period. End of statement. Brandon Nemo. Brandon Nemo. Okay. There we go. That's it? So we're unanimous. Brandon Nemo yeah. is our lead-off hitter. Batting second for the New York Mets is Brian. What say you? Uh, I, I, I like to, you know, switch righty and lefty normally, but I'm going to go with Jeff McNeil. I know this. you said he, that Luis Suarez wants to bat him six. Uh, and, I mean, you can't go wrong there, but I would rather have him at the two spot because I think he he's, uh, you know, not quite leadoff hitter, um, uh, leadoff hitter worthy, but he's close enough, and obviously he's, he's, he's good enough that you can put him up high in the order. So I go with Jeff McNeil. Sam, uh, Brandon Nimmo's Brandon Nimmo's uh, batting right now. By the way, I go Jeff McNeil yes, as well. He, he would be my second batter. Jeff McNeil. Uh, yeah. I'm debating this one. I really am. I'm con- I'm contemplating batting Lindor second. Now, now or can McNeil. I say that Lindor Lindor is a very interesting one? Uh, because I was thinking he could be a great third batter. Um, however, if I will indulge the the idea of the six hole for Jeff McNeil as really elongating the lineup, making sure I mean because they do have a lot of pieces to play with, and in between with everything we're saying, having Jeff McNeil at the bottom, it, it, let's say uh, uh, Mike, we go with Francisco Lindor in the second hole. Uh, and Pete Alonso in the third hole, Michael Conforto in the fourth, whatever you guys want to indulge in. Um, that's, that's where the whole Jeff McNeil thing comes into play of him batting in the sixth hole. I'm torn. But for argument's sake, I'll go with McNeil in the second spot. you got to be in it. This is going to go along with that kind of like the best hitter theory that you said for the third batter. Uh, but I'm going to go with Francisco Lindor. Um, you didn't. We didn't acquire him to, you know, <laughs> bury him in the lineup, and they never would do that. But uh, you gotta, you gotta stick him there. And Sam, Francisco Lindor. I, I, I know that I, I don't sound like I, I sound like a robot right now, but just going with whatever you guys say. But I agree. Well, I, I mean, it is what it is. It's the Mets, and if we're in agreement. We're in agreement. So so far we have Numo, McNeil, and and he's and, and he's Lindor. up right now with the bases with the bases loaded, no outs. Francisco Lindor walks up to the plate. Sorry if this is a whole copyright thing. <laughs> uh, I think cleanup is going to be an interesting debate. Me personally, boys, I'm putting Michael Conforto as my cleanup hitter. What say you, Brian? I am doing the same thing. Uh, I'm, I I feel good with Michael Conforto as the, as the number four hitter. And Sam? I'm going Pete Alonso. I think that he's your strongest hitter um, in terms of, you know, just like pure home run power. Uh, that's usually reserved for the four spot. And I think there's a lot of things that you can do. This This is a long lineup with the best hitters involved. So um, I think Pete Alonso in the four hole 
with how much you can do with the five, six, seven, I, I think you got to go there. It's funny. If we go that in that direction, my lineup would be Nimmo, Lindor second, Conforto third, and Alonzo fourth. If we're batting Alonzo fourth. And I don't disagree. I mean, you need alternate lineups throughout the season. And I'm comfortable with that top four. But for the moment, so far, we have Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor, and Conforto batting fourth. Batting fifth for the New York Mets. Brian? So I'm going to do righty, lefty, uh, you know, every other batter, righty, lefty. I'm going with Pete Alonzo fifth. Uh, I hear what Sam is saying, and I have no problem if he is fourth. And I'm kind of like you, Mike. I, I think if, if, if you have Alonzo fourth, I think maybe uh, Conforto moves up and, and so does Lindor. Uh, and then maybe you slot McNeil down there. But uh, as far as the lineup I've constructed at this point, I would put uh, a Pete Alonso as this guy. Sam? Yeah, I'd go Michael Conforto next. Uh, looks like they just walked in a run, 4-3 uh, St. Louis still. Uh, but Francisco Lindor takes first base on, B, on a BB. But, uh, yeah, I would go Michael Conforto. Based yeah. Uh, so Herein lies my conflict with the two-hole. I'm I'm comfortable with McNeil batting six. I'm not comfortable with dropping Lindor that far down into the lineup. So, uh, the number six spot. What say you, Sam? Um, Dominic Smith. You know, we can't forget. You're going to have to get Dominic Smith involved in in this. He he has already come into his own. Uh, it has been done. He has spoken. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we're ready for uh, a Dom machine or whatever other nickname. Somebody, somebody remind me if there's another nickname going on. Not that I'm aware of, but Brian, what say you? This is an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with Dom Smith too. And I think uh, he is a guy that uh, benefits from playing every day. Um, because I think I think before he was when he was just off the bench it, it didn't suit him as well. Um, so I have re, you know I fully believe that uh, him playing every day is gonna uh, in a full season uh, he's gonna thrive in that role um, and you know just as the face of this franchise uh, it's really great to see. So I'm uh, I'm putting him number six. So we could tackle the last two slots uh, simultaneously seven and eight. What say you, Sam? Oh man, I think you got to go JD Davis. Let's say if we're talking about JD Davis at third base in the seven hole, got to go there. Right? JD Davis, put him in there. I think he's going to hit, you know, maybe over 20 home runs. I like him. Which leaves McCann for the eighth spot. Now, just for fun, let's take away JD Davis and insert Guillaume. Where in the lineup would you bat him? Well, me, I would bat uh, Jeremy well, eight. That's that's no question. Okay, Sam. Yeah, uh, Guillaume. So, so based off of where we're going, what am I missing? Like, like, so Guillaume would be where at that point? Well, I think Brian got it right. We bump up the cancer to seventh spot, and we back Guillaume eight. 
I think that's the way to go because he's not going to break this up. But where is Guillaume playing in the field? Third base. I took J.D. JD Davis out. Okay. So based off of my lineup, I already have J.D. Davis in a seven hole. So what does that do for me? (laughs) (laughs) Gives me a better glove at third. (laughs) Better glove at third with – with Guillerme, okay, so I'm trying to think. Where did I put – did I not put McCann anywhere? Uh, we pretty – he's pretty much regulated to the eighth spot. Uh, it's a process of elimination. If you're going to put J.D. Davis seventh, he has to go eighth. Yeah, but I haven't really looked at McCann's numbers enough to – I mean, he's got a little, little pop doesn't he? Like, so everything, he's, he's, this is, this is a pretty deep lineup guys. And I think I mentioned this on a couple of podcasts ago or the last one that, wow, this is a pretty deep lineup. It really is. And, and I'll go through it again. Leading off Brendan Nimmo batting second, Jeff McNeil, go Lindor batting fourth, Michael Conforto batting fifth, the polar bear, Pete Alonzo batting sixth, Dom Smith, seventh, JD Davis, eighth, McCann, batting ninth, New York Met pitchers. That's a good lineup. How confident are you insofar as it's stacking up with the rest of the the, the division? Oh, yes. Right? All right. <laughs> Conforto just Somebody got a base hit. came through. <laughs> yes. Conforto. This lineup just tied the game. The lineup we're talking about right now. <laughs> has been rallying this entire time. So how confident is the season with this type of lineup against the competition within our division, Brian? I feel pretty good. Um, If I had to rank the teams in the division, I feel it's a dead heat with the Braves. Uh, I don't know if other people feel that the Braves are better. I mean, some think the Mets are better. Uh, but the Braves have a lot of, you know, players that have been established as, you know, great players. Acuna uh, being the, the top at that list and pretty friendly as well. Guys have been with the been together for a while. You know, this team, few guys obviously have been together most of them. But you know, with Lindor in there, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm obviously optimistic with with his uh, with his uh, impact. Um, but I definitely see it being better than Washington obviously better than the Marlins and better than the Phillies. So to me, it's, it's the Mets and the, and the Braves, I think, for the, the division. And that's not to say the Mets are rally, folks. Those, oh, the, <laughs> I the feel like we need to take just, Conforto out of the knot. The flushing nine just took the lead on a ball hit back through the middle by the polar bear. Uh, he wears a blue shirt, by the way. So it's uh, the blue team six and the red team four as we speak. <laughs> 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 so, gentlemen, uh, we've talked about a lot. Uh, do you have any outstanding questions, issues, comments, or rude remarks? I'll start with you, Sam. I mean, we might as we might as well just let let this game finish out. No, uh, the <laughs> we'll, we'll talk the whole game. I trust me. Um, no, this could be a long a long spring training game. Crazy enough, uh, Khalil Lee is up now, uh, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but I, I want to talk about the uniforms. 
I, you know, especially like today specifically these, I mean, you know, I, I know these are generally spring training games, uh, but they do have a uniform, I believe like this now uh, that they go to. And with the orange bill, the blue, uh, I, I, you know, I'd rather it be an orange interlocking NY, um, but it's, it's really snazzy. They're going, they're wearing the pinstripe pants. I wouldn't hate them wearing blue pants completely. Just, Oh, yeah. Wrapping it out. And blue, uh, Khalil Lee just got hit. Speaking of blue, he'll have a black and blue on the, on his back, uh, <laughs> within an hour or so. He just got hit with a pitch. <laughs> yeah, no, but no, no, but that, that, I, I just want to talk about the uniforms, and, and, and especially now that we're starting a new era of ownership, uh, the way it's going to come together to honor the legacy while also, you know, because the, the, the orange piping on these blue uniforms is unique to these new blue uniforms uh, compared to other blue uniforms of, of the other era. Because the other, the other blue uniform I can think of was a pullover um, back in the early 80s. The, and and I like that these are now in rotation. And you know, especially with the whole black jersey, this uh, debate this uh, this off season. Um, I'd love a uniform talk. I'd love a little baseball fashion talk. Well, you know what, Brian? Let's give Sam what he wants. Let's talk uniforms. <laughs> Me personally, I will buy the uniform. Uh, Sam will just just described. I will buy a black one. I will buy a polka dotted one. I don't care. Sell it. I'll buy it. I'll wear it to a game. I just don't want to see my team wearing it on the field. I want to see my white <laughs> uniform with blue pinstripes, the old traditional uniform, and leave it alone. If you want to go alternate once a week, fine. But leave my damn uniform alone. That's just me. That's my opinion. I'm one of millions and millions and millions of fans. So, <laughs> Brian, what say you? So, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of in – I feel like you, in which I don't want the Mets to really mess with the the classic white pinstripe uh, and the, the, the wonderfully aesthetically pleasing gray uniforms with New York uh, across the body. Uh, I love both of those the uniforms. Yeah, I love these spring training uniforms, and I especially love the the 41 patch. Uh, last year, obviously, was the one with the black and white. Uh, this year, it's the uh, blue and orange with the pinstripes, which I think really stands out in the same realm that, that Tom Seaver stood out with uh, this uh, this organization. Uh, so I love that. I just love seeing Good call, that. Brian. As, Good call. Yeah, as as far as the the black you know, black jerseys are concerned, I guess I talk because I feel like it's mostly a thing uh, that it's mostly something that's wanted back by people of my generation who grew up with those black uniforms. So maybe I'm a little bit, uh, I, uh, you know, a counterculture when it comes to that, because I don't really care for them. I, I don't understand the, it's only, it was, you know, people wore black uniforms in the late nineties because it was a trend. It wasn't because the Mets decided to do something unique. Uh, it was, and it, and it just happened to win during that time. Uh, at least I'm at least in the 90s and can I can I can I also just, uh, disclaim? However, I think the Mets are the ones that started that trend. From they, they arguably have, yeah. maybe even maybe even an entire sport, an entire you know uh, 
four league standpoint from an American sports perspective. Yeah, that might that uh, might be true. I guess because '98 or something was when they started wearing. Had, uh, I think the ball. Colorado Rockies had an influence in that as well. And the and the yeah. Miami Marlins. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, um, but I I am I'm like you, Mike. I I I I'm okay with them wearing it. Friday night home games, that's fine. Just don't make it part of the regular rotation. So I, I do understand people of kind of my generation who it's part of the, the nostalgia and they want to see it come back in some respect. Uh, that's fine. I think, you know, Steve Cohen is probably, you know, he understands this is a business as much as it, it's an organization and, and something you know, he's doing for fun. Uh, so bringing back the black uniforms would really help business, but to me, don't make it part of the regular rotation. Uh, you know, if it's a Friday night thing, and you know, you encourage fans to wear black. I think that's that's perfectly suitable for for you know one time, you know, once in a while. When you're young, you can't help but get locked into time. You know, that's what happened yeah. to me in the Met uniforms from the '70s. That's what happened. Uh, to younger folks with the black uniforms, look, you can't look at the, you, you can't look at the black uniforms and not think of good times, ninety nine, mm-hmm. two thousand, Mike Piazza, etc. Uh, uh, Sam, you know, I, I know you're more forgiving, insofar as the uniforms. Go ahead. Nah, I'm kind of in lockstep, and and I'll say this before I give my opinion on the black jerseys. My favorite uniform in Mets history is the 1978 snow-white pinstripe pullover. I wish that were in rotation. So just want to throw that out there as that's where I start with my pinnacle of Mets jerseys. I wish that were affiliated with a winning era because then it would be in rotation. It's basically the racing stripes, um, you know, but without the racing stripes. Uh, but they're never going to put it in rotation, which which they should put every era of Mets. You want to sell money? Listen, I will buy that, and I know plenty of people, and Mike, you're probably one of them included, that would buy that era's jersey. Sell that on – and, and here's the thing. The black jersey happened in more winning era than that jersey. You can literally wear the Snow White pinstripe pullover maybe once a year or pick a random Mets era to, 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 to put out there, and we will buy it. We will buy it. But in terms of the black jersey for me, I've always been that I think it's a great fashion thing. I think it's, it's a good T-shirt to wear uh, uh, with Mets across that's a black T-shirt. Um, but – I I don't think it works necessarily always on the field. I think that if you're going to bring the black jersey back, you also have to bring the road black jersey back because it's arguably better with New York across the chest. Um, And, yes, you can only use it in terms of honoring, like making it a 2000 night, making it a 1999 night, uh, which is arguably a better year than 2000, a better team than 2000 that could have won the World Series had just any Mets team really could would win the World Series. The 1978 Mets with the Snow White pinstripe pullover could have won the World Series as far as I'm concerned. But something always goes wrong. 
Um, that's just how the Metsian way goes. And hopefully new ways are written. But you do have to honor that history, and the black jersey is part of that. And I like it in many, many ways. But I get, the, the especially when you're looking at this this amazing blue and orange uh, top on, on spring training. Like, like it's just the bl- orange and blue, it should, that should really be it. But I get honoring history and it does work in many ways. Uh, polyester was one of the best or worst things that ever happened to baseball. That's all I know. <laughs> but gentlemen, I have nothing further. If you do, let's, uh, Let's out with it. Questions, comments, rude remarks. Going once, going twice. I, I have nothing close. else. Oh, I I was just gonna say I have nothing else to say except that if Major League Baseball comes after you guys for you know divulging or revealing uh, some of the play-by-play, <laughs> I was never on the show. We have no idea who you are. <laughs> right, because, right, like, the, the MLB is like the FBI, like, like the you're way just, they do business. Well, it's not even start. You're just, you're just some random caller who just happened to write a book, New York Mets All-Stars, <laughs> all-time All-Stars. Uh, what your name is, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, but, Brian, yeah, I'm gonna, thank you for coming back on the show. <laughs> thank you oh. for coming back on the show. Uh, always enjoyable having you on. We have good conversations. Uh, let's go Mets. Sam, I will throw it back to you to take this home. Uh, hope springs eternal. Let's keep on pushing and let's go Mets. Take care, everybody. Let's go Mets. Let's get this win. Let's go Mets. Let's get this win. And I don't know who you you are. (laughs) P.I.F. 